So if I take those five things, and even if I can improve those things by 0.2%, for example, then that's going to add up. And that's very similar to the work that I do, in, especially in teams or in companies. Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams and organisations. Enjoy the episode. Hi everyone and welcome to yet another episode of the Helping People Perform podcast. Today I'm delighted to have joining me today the Founder and Performance Director at Cognitive Athlete and Specialist in Supporting Dads in Business, welcome Lee Eldridge. Thanks Paul, thanks for having me today, great to be on. Well, thanks for coming on. Re- really appreciate it. And uh, um, as we always do at the start of these uh, sessions, trying to understand just a little bit about your background story. You know, what's got you to where you are today? So my background or, or, or I class myself as a, as a coach in right. that point of view. Um, started coaching when I was 17. We're teaching or coaching children how to swim. And that kind of grew my passion for seeing people improve you know that was my my drug basically in terms of seeing a child basically learn a life-saving skill and being able to swim across a width and then lengths etc etc and that kind of got me interested in human performance and that led on to a sports science degree coming out and then dipping my feet into more coaching in different sports And then really got interested in kind of physical preparation and realized that if I wanted to work with professional athletes, then a master's was, was, was a prerequisite. So I headed back, did my master's in human performance. And alongside that kind of started doing some internships in professional sports. Fortunate enough then to start in the world of professional sports. Rugby was the main sport I spent most of my time. Right. And then around 2016 was due to move out to Switzerland to work with a performance company and their main demographic of athletes was motorsports. Oh. It really happened, but they were like, we have a corporate side, we'd really like you to kind of get involved with that. And then I switched my focus to looking at corporates in business and how we can improve the human in the business and then improve their well-being, which is the foundation of performance. Oh. That kind of led on to trial and error and seeing what stuck and what didn't, you know, coming from a professional background into a highly competitive business environment. Right. And then around 2000 and well, just once COVID kind of hit, um, we decided that my wife and I and the family <clears throat> were to move to Spain. So we kind of did a couple of years in Spain and that's where Cognitive Athlete kind of started basically right and then back to london we had our second child in february so we're back now and a bit more family support and and having conversations with businesses in london and across europe and some in some in america now yeah all right oh fantastic and uh we never know i don't know exactly when this uh episode's going to be coming out but maybe in time for your second child's first birthday you never know yeah which is yeah next week so yeah probably yeah right Brilliant stuff. <laughs> well, some really interesting stuff there. Can you tell us a little about you? There's two bits that I've uh, noted something down. At. Firstly, coaching at 17. I mean, um, a lot of people at that age are getting into 
you know, just being the best at the sports that they play and getting into being a, a sports or athlete. Um, what persuaded you that coaching was the angle to go? So I was, you know, I was playing sport as well. And kind of, I think a friend of mine was like, look, there's a swimming teacher's level one, which is what, you know, every sport that you coach in, there will be a level one or, or somewhere to start on the line. Yeah. And I did that. And at my school, there was a, in my secondary school, there was a swimming pool attached to it. The lady had a bit of a swimming club. I approached her. She's like, yep, yeah, you can come and support me with some more senior co coaches in that system. And the hours were good. The pay was really good compared to what my, my mates were doing in terms of stacking shelves and, yeah. you know, working in shops, etc. And that kind of allowed me to, fortunately, not do as many hours, but also be able to compete at sport um, and, and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I thought to myself that, that the passion of kind of seeing somebody develop kind of was 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 instilled in me from from a young age um and I kind of had a decision to make whether to be a PE teacher or to go down the, the you know the sports coaching route basically mm. um it wasn't really until I left university that that kind of bug got really stuck in me in terms of supporting from a physical preparation point of view right oh awesome uh, and um one of the things I when I was first uh, sort of growing up in the back when I was still living up in northeast England, um, both of my parents started off as PE teachers. Uh, and my mum was a PE teacher all of her life. Um, uh, and I'll tell you a little story about her claim to fame in a second. But my, and then my, my dad moved more into the sort of biology and then into secondary education and things like that. But my mum is semi famous for being the person who tried to persuade Jay Jones to give up Taekwondo. Uh, because she was one person short on a netball team at Flint High School. So, uh, you know, trying to get what would eventually become multi-gold Olympic medal winners to give up on their sport so that you could field a team on the day. You know, I don't think she's ever lived that one down, but big shout out to my mum. <laughs> um, the other note that I put out there was around um, different uh, sports and all the different things that you've done. So you've done swimming, you did rugby, form, um, motorsport you talked about as well. Um, and I think there's hockey in there and all sorts of different sports. Um, that can be quite different to a lot of people who go with the, I'm just going to follow one sport and move it all the way through piece. A um, couple of questions on that. What sent you down that route? And what did you learn from the different sports? You know, is there one or two key insights from one of the sports, for instance, that you're like, right, those guys are much more, you know, focus in these areas i learned how to switch that from rugby to hockey whatever it might be yeah so kind of the first normally in the first year of a sports science degree one of the biggest lectures will be a needs analysis how to carry out a needs analysis in the sport right and you would look at all the research you would speak to coaches you'd watch the sport you speak to players you try to understand the, the culture or especially around the language that they use and it kind of puts you at a mark where you could you can go in and, and do the role in any sport, basically. Obviously, what happens is that coaches tend to stay in sports because you can build up a bit a huge amount of experience and, and go yeah. from there. And for me, a lot of the sports I worked in, I kind of fell into. 
So, for example, professional football was more along the lines of um, my lecturer was a good friend of um, one of the guys at a professional football club. And he was like, look, I've got this student. He's keen to kind of learn and experience. And then in you go, you know, you do a good job. You prove that you're reliable, that you, you ask good questions and all that type of stuff. And that kind of led on from there. Right. And then unfortunately, you know, probably like most industries, who you know kind of gives you the foot in the door and then how you act and how you are allows you to to walk through that door. And then once you kind of build up a bit of experience of working with an athlete, working in, you know, an environment, it becomes a little bit easier for them to move into the next environment, basically. Um, You know, so for example, the English Institute for Sport, it's not uncommon for you know, preparation coaches or any types of coach to work for a broad range of sports. And actually they encourage it because of, you know, what you mentioned, like picking up from different cultures. Yeah. And in terms of culture, it, it really depends on, on the sport in itself. So, you know, big culture from football to rugby, I'd say that, you know, the athletes in rugby, I'm not saying that football players don't work hard, but because of the physical element of, of rugby, if you do not, train hard and you do not you know develop yourself physically it is a physical nature game that you are going to get yeah basically battered on the weekend physically and also mentally whereas obviously with football it's a little bit different um so the emphasis might change in terms from the athlete population basically yeah um and obviously there's different pathways to to get into those sports so in football you know, you, normally if you're a talented football player, you'll be spotted by an academy. You'll start that process, you know, under 10s and you start to get into it. Yeah. Obviously, rugby is a little bit different in terms of you might come through a bit of a school system. Mm. You might be playing in the lower leagues and then kind of get into an academy or be on loan and, and, and chop and change. So there's di- there's different ways of entry points. Yeah. Um, Again, obviously, for example, like in motorsports, you know, it's, it's pretty clear how, you know, the top end Formula One drivers go through that kind of karting experience and then all the levels of, of Formula One. Um, you know, you don't just get somebody who's a 19, 20 year old into Formula One. There's kind of a, a, a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a history basically there. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of revolves around the, you know, the, funding and the support network for that particular sport you know um yeah so we were kind of at a rugby club where funding was interesting so we had to think outside the box a little bit more in terms of facilities training equipment where we train how we train when we train whereas obviously in a you know premiership football club it's pretty much like this is you know the the blank canvas you can you can build out and do whatever you want basically yeah oh Wonderful. I'm sure there's some fantastic experiences in there. And uh, yeah, I I know from working alongside a lot of uh, sort of high performance athletes and talking to a few people, you know, that the it's that cultural element of the sport, no matter how much of an individual you are that always tends to move towards that element of of the, the general culture of the sport that goes along with it as well, isn't it? Yeah. And most professional athletes, you know, that's the the big thing that they miss. You know, they talk about you know, that, that team environment, that, that kind of structure of, of being able to go in with, with like-minded individuals, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of them 
you know they develop kind of very strong relationships with and friends and etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah i can you know it's easily understandable yeah uh, and uh, just towards the end of my time working with mclaren as well they were looking at um you know bringing in people and running um simulation events and seeing that the best drivers who perform well in simulators can they move them into um the formula one world and i think um ultimately it's like you can you can be really good driver uh, from a simulator but there are still elements and i think the person the prize in the first year was someone who actually was really good on the simulator but had a karting background as well and it'd be really interesting to see someone who's just been an armchair simulation driver uh, try to move into the formula one world i think that would be yeah, a, an interesting yeah. challenge different yeah it's a it's yeah although kind of similar but very very different when you know the tar was it the rubber hits the tarmac and there's, <laughs> there's a bit more uh risk put in front of people basically yeah oh brilliant um so in terms of where that brings you to now and with cognitive athlete um can you tell us a bit more about that in terms of who you help perform and how you help them perform yeah so cognitive athlete is all about bringing our learnings from sports science or the world of of research into human performance across into the business uh you know there's so much talked about business in terms of business operations you know data crm all the you know all these different pieces of software and for me it's kind of shifted a little bit away from the number one the most important thing in in my opinion in the business is is the human being the person yeah you know obviously ai and chat g PT is obviously everywhere at the moment and yeah it's it's we can see that you know technology is in, is advancing and we will always be behind the curve from an evolution point of view mm. if we think about the last 10 years you know before 2010 what technology was like compared to now is is unbelievable but the human body or the human being hasn't changed that much in the last 10 years yeah so in terms of people that I help is people in business that are kind of struggling to to cope with this and they're looking to improve their performance, but there's lots going on in their lives, lots of things taking their attention. This, you know, this challenge with being connected all the time and how to really develop a focus around improving themselves and then ultimately the business right if we can improve the business then oh so if we can improve the person we automatically improve the business mm. so that's where cognitive athlete sits at the moment yeah and uh, you mentioned sort of the business dad's side of it tell us a bit more about that angle so november 2021 saturday morning kind of my daughter was like screaming at me daddy 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 basically because it was time for me to I think we were supposed to be playing Lego together and I was on my phone trying to connect with somebody or or speak to a, a potential new client. And I just thought to myself, this isn't really what I wanted to do as, as a dad, basically. Right. The idea for me of growing a business has always been in there that I've always kind of thought that, you know, it'd be nice to, to develop something and build something. And I kind of thought there must be more dads out there that are in a similar situation mm. sports science hat back on needs analysis went out and researched into it interviewed i'm getting close to 70 business dads now 
just asking, you know, what's your challenges, what's your fears, how's business, all those types of areas to see where I can put my experience and my knowledge and all I've gained from coaching along with the sides of the needs analysis and say, right, what's the best way of going out and supporting these individuals? Right. There's obviously lots of discussion around mental health at the moment. And we know there's a big need, especially from a male population that men struggle immensely with mental health. And I've seen it across the interviews where they're struggling because they're trying to grow a business, trying to support the family, you know, financially and income wise. And then also trying to be the best dad that they can be. Yeah. It's just become a bit of a, a passion of mine to support those individuals in the cases where they're at. Oh, fantastic. And does that tend to be those engagements? Does that tend to be um, a sort of one on one? Do you engage with an organization to look at the, the dads in their business or is it more of an individual client perspective? So there are obviously, there's two areas, especially when working with men. One, we're not very good at knowing that we need to help. We can just, we just crack on. Yeah. And two, the bigger thing is, right, I need help and where do I go and find that? So to answer your question, I work with one-on-one with some business dads, yeah. but also in a group scenario. And that a group scenario is really powerful because mm-hmm. you get a, bunch of people in a similar situation kind of talking through their experiences and challenges and then people are like oh wow that's similar to what I'm going through I'm not the only person going through this I'm going to make a conversation with that person and and share kind of what's going on in my in my world or my life yeah from an organizational point of view that's the that's the next step to really kind of sit in there because and no disrespect to women, there's loads of support for, for both men and women. And I'd like to kind of support businesses in that area or to at least say, hey, let's not forget about the dad in the room, basically. Yeah. And more this kind of inclusive idea. And interestingly, I spoke to um, uh, a lady who's going to be uh, a podcast guest in a couple of weeks. And we don't know when the timings of these are going to work out, but her focus is, uh, is professional mums. And one of the conversations I have behind the scenes with a lot of my guests is around that, uh, the need to niche, particularly when you're on your own in those early days, you know, it's like finding, it's not that you don't want to help everyone. It's actually, it helps you focus. It helps your clients be clear as to what you can bring to them. Um, and it really helps the the, organi- the business to, um, to get on its feet and to, to get that momentum going as yeah. well, isn't it? Yeah. And from my perspective, up until March, 2020, I'd either have athletes given to me or coaching clients. Right. So all I really knew was coaching yeah. from that aspect. That was you know, 20 years or however long it was. Then it's like, oh, that's, you know, if you're a solopreneur or yeah. you're growing a business, there's everything that comes with that sales, marketing, funnels, whatever. And the biggest learning is that if you try to help everybody, you help nobody. That's Seth Godin, I think. And for me, yeah, it's been been clear. Although I, you know, I'm not going to say I'm not going to work with with people. um, But my big focus currently is 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 business dads because I'm I'm passionate. I'm a business dad myself. I go through all these challenges. Yeah. I I feel lonely. I feel guilty. I feel stressed. Everything that 
that goes on it, yeah. goes on with it. And for me, it's been a case of um, trying to work out a way to deal with that, that pressure. Right. Oh, nice. And which brings us, I guess, nicely to the next section of the uh, of this podcast, which is how do you get help with your performance? You know, where do you go to sharpen your saw and to, uh, to up your game? So obviously being a coach, a number of my friends are coaches. So we have a, a a two-way relationship. I'm able to say, hey, look, this is what's going on with me and this is what's going on with with them. And we can kind of have that conversation. Yeah. Also, I'm in a fortunate position that anything I learn, I can then apply into my role. Yeah. So a bit of a reader uh, um, from a book point of view and try to keep up to date with what's going on from a science point of view and also yeah. from a from a just a a I wouldn't say a book point of view of somebody taking and applying their their research basically nice. and then I try to sit down and and plan out the, the model that I created you know all models are useful but all useless at the same time yeah I really try and look at the foundations of performance and monitor those, you know, how well am I sleeping? What am I eating? How much movement am I doing? Mm. What stress tolerance kind of work am I doing? And how is my cognitive performance? And am I setting myself up for the, for the best point of view? Yeah. And then the big five that I constantly try to think about or yeah. at least review once a week to say, right, where am I? Yeah. Basically, And that, that really helps me from a performance point of view. Oh, nice. Uh, I mean, I've just been listening to uh, a podcast from a, another guest as well. You know, it's amazing. You, you talk to people, you get to listen to, to their stories and go and listen to their, uh, their own podcast. These guys are up to episode 1226 or something like that at the time of recording here. So they're a bit ahead of the game, but called the Next Level University. Hi, you know, highly recommend it. They put out one episode every day sort of seven days a week you know it's it's wow. it's, it's full on but it's uh, but there's some amazing stuff in there and uh, the st the episodes I've just been listening to are about those small things consistently you know and monitoring the, those key things every day and uh, or every week whatever works for you so uh, there's yeah. lots of good stuff to resonate there oh brilliant it's, you know James Clear if you haven't read his book Atomic Habits yeah really a great resource one for habit creation and consistency but also changing that mindset and thinking more along the idea of compound self-improvement yeah you know those one percenters so if i take those five things and even if i can improve those things by 0.2 percent for example then that's going to add up and that's very similar to the work that i do in especially in teams or in companies mm. the ceo who might be at the top of their game and very similar from a professional athlete once you reach that level of performance it, it's quite difficult to improve your performance by 10 15 percent for example yeah but in a whole team aspect if we've got you know 20 guys or 20 girls and we can improve them each by 0.2 percent then that adds up yeah. massively so and that's what i'm thinking of in, in terms of me is you know how how well am i doing certain things to kind of shift that area basically yeah oh, um i did a 
little talking to somebody and did a little bit of maths on this and it was uh you know if you if you do a one-off exercise if you're performing at one and you go in and have an intervention and you up your performance by 50 percent and you end up at the end of the year with 1.5 of what you had at the beginning you know that's brilliant you've done done some great improvement if you start off with one and the next day go to 1.01 and you compound that every day for a year I think it's you end up with three point eight seven. I think the maths is. I don't know off the top of the head, but it, it's you know it's streets apart. Or it might even be thirty odd. You know, it's a. I get the numbers in there, but it's it, it's a whole different ball game, a different quantum of improvement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's where, for example, one client I'm working with does a lot of sitting, a lot of mobility issues, lack of movement, and we we're like, right, let's try and get eight minutes of stretching or mobility work from a couple of stretches a day but you consistently do them and he was like well is that really going to be beneficial and I was like well over a year I think it works out at around two and a half thousand minutes of mobility work yeah pose the question do you think you would be more mobile it after two and a half thousand minutes of of mobility work and obviously the answer is yes yeah and once we break it down like that it, it's it's really kind of something that we can keep cons- consistently doing mm. um you know people talk about number of steps and all this and for me i'm a big fan of like let's look at the let's look at back to the week right you know have you how many steps have you done in the week because i like to see fluctuations i like to see people do for example twelve thousand steps fifteen thousand steps one day knowing that the next day they're they're going to be in the office and they're going to be sat down and probably only make three or five thousand averages out the system Mm. as opposed to Oh my god, I've got to do ten thousand steps today, and how it how it kind of works out from that point of view. Yeah, yeah. When it becomes a chore, you're not enjoying it anymore. It's a, it's a that's when things start to crumble and uh, and fall off, isn't correct. it? Yeah, yeah, correct. Oh, brilliant. Um, and just a couple of slightly different questions towards the end of the the cast. Then that I always ask that people is, if you were able to help anyone, any individual team or organisation with the skill set that you've got. Um, who would you want that to be? Well, that is, it's a good question. Being a, a Liverpool fan at the moment, I'm not sure if I could help them, but I'd definitely like to go in and, and kind of be a, a fly in that room and see what, what's actually actually going on. Yeah, That's not from a positive or a negative point of view, but those types of of high-performing environments, you know, the Man Cities, the Liverpools, in rugby, I would imagine the the French national team is is a good place to be, a, and along with the All Blacks. Yeah, I think any kind of high performing sports, and that's coming from my my kind of background, basically from from where I've been. Mm. Um, and I think that there's what also would be quite interesting. I think that TikTok and places like that, where they're going through massive growth, yeah. and TikTok obviously have a huge responsibility to play in terms of what they're putting out and who's seeing it and hmm. the the kind of the, the discussion around mental health and social media and how it yeah. that for me would be quite an interesting place to, to go oh. oh nice uh and maybe you you might have answered this a little bit in the same question because usually what i'll do is i'll flip that over and say if you were able to sit down and uh, have a chat have a have a coffee or a drink with anybody and learn from them would that would that be the same uh, the same sort of people or would you choose anybody else in that? Yeah, space? I think 
it would be it'd be super interesting i've always had what i'd love to do is be able to to create not necessarily a retreat but get some serious leaders in business and some amazing coaches all together in in one room yeah because we talk about the similarities and difference between high performing sport and business and it it's it's one where it'd be great to hear what the conversations are and, and how they how they go for that yeah that process oh. Yeah, I mean, I've been lucky enough in my days when I lived over in New Zealand, I got to engage with a couple of the All Blacks and the, and some of the All Blacks behind the scenes management as well. And funnily enough, when I worked at McLaren, uh, a group of All Blacks came and, and presented uh, on the day there as well. And um, yeah, it, it's amazing. The, you think it's a completely different world and then you start having conversations with people and it's like, it's discipline, it's teamwork, it's all the great stuff that... If you do this stuff consistently and well and on purpose, then yeah. you, know, you get that performance. And I also think the the idea that it's not a perfect environment. There are still challenges. There's people still make mistakes. Yeah, it happens, and it's it's not what happens to you. It's how you respond to it. Yeah. That's a that's a huge meta not metaphor but a huge saying in in all the top psychologists and right. psychology in itself it's you know victor frankel's man search for meaning an amazing book about you know being in a prison of war camp and how he kind of used that and from a psychology point of view some great books out there yeah oh wonderful um and how do people find out more how do they get in touch with you so the easiest place is linkedin under my name lee eldridge or to go and have a look at www cognitiveathlete.co.uk yep. and there there's some great places to to in, engage with me or to to message me and i'm more than happy to have conversations with with people it's yep. uh growing a business is as i've noticed it's all about kind of speaking to people and understanding challenges and that's that's the the phase at the moment from my perspective from business point of view Oh, nice. So if there are any people out there, particularly any business dads, then do reach out. I'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. So um, thank you. Uh, Lee, thanks so much for sharing your story today and coming on the show. Uh, great to have you. Brilliant. Thanks so much for your time, Paul. Cheers. Enjoy it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.